The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. Download it. You must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast. One of the hosts thinks if you have to hire a coach, it means you've been a bad boy. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. He had a dog trainer. It helped a little bit. He still barks a lot. You've met him. Maybe you can vouch. Yeah, I think I think Lenny needs a, a therapist, not a trainer, to work through his issues. Um, so we're going to talk about coaching hires later and Yay. the Indianapolis Colts uh, in the second half of this podcast. But I wanted to start off, as always, by talking about Monday night's game, Dominique. Uh, so here's my first thought. The Ravens have played a lot of weird games this year. Have had a lot of crazy things, you know, meltdowns, whatever, incredible comebacks. This was just a very normal beatdown. This was just one team <laughs> being a lot better at football than the other team. Just starting there, I mean, the discrepancy yeah. was pretty obvious. It's the the like foundation of football stuff. If you can run the ball and play defense, you're gonna be all right. And that's what they did all night. They ran the ball effectively. Looked like the old Ravens. They played less aggressive old Ravens defense, but just as effective old Ravens defense. A lot of pass rush, sacks, and pressure, good coverage downfield. Andy Dalton had flashbacks of his uh, Bengals days, and it yeah, it was just a good old-fashioned beatdown. And it's not – the Saints aren't a bad team. It wasn't like they beat up on a bad team. They beat up on a team that's – Yeah, we just saw okay. beat down okay. another team dramatically. <laughs> the Ravens. Um, well, let's talk about the Ravens' defense first because I think that – that perhaps is the more interesting development in some ways. I mean, we'll talk about Lamar Jackson in a second, who's obviously playing without Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman, who's out for the season. But, you know, this is a defense that through the first four weeks of the season looked bad, right? Like, I mean, I would say, you know, the Patriots game, the meltdown against Miami was had me, like, really rethinking – is this team actually a contender? Because coming into the season, we thought they've got this new defensive coordinator, Mike McDonald. they got a lot of talent, especially in the secondary. Let's see how they look. And through the first few weeks of the season, they were bad. So they've, I believe, been improving every week since then. What would you attribute that improvement to for the most part? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like switching systems is the easy explanation to it. Yeah. It's like you got to get comfortable. There are a lot of things that happen that are second nature. You don't have to talk about. You don't have to work through when you are comfortable in a system that you've been playing for a long time. And then there's um, a lot of things that you have to learn. And I think getting comfortable with those things is the explanation. Like when you see blown coverages is something that was a big like hallmark of this defense early in the season. You don't see those anymore. That's a That suggests that they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, they've addressed those issues, and it seems like they've got it figured out. And it's two like very different styles of defense. I guess Wink Martindale's defensive style is very different from everybody's defensive style. So uh, adjusting to that is going to take some time. And uh, I think I would be more concerned about this team if they were younger. You know, like it would feel like yeah. we don't know who they are, but it kind of <laughs> like you know, like it kind of feels like it makes sense. Like they were just learning, switching, and and uh, developing in there, and they are a pretty good team with a lot of talent and veterans that can figure it out. Well, speaking of age, I mean, this is like the best pass rush of 2013, right? Like Calais Campbell, JPP, yes. Justin Houston turning back oh the clock. Um, 
that to me has also been probably a, a big factor. I think what you said about the secondary in particular, you know, those busted coverages we saw earlier on disappearing is significant. But also, the pass rush was like non-existent through the first few weeks of the season. And I wouldn't say they have one of the better pass rushes in the NFL, but it has started to heat up in recent weeks. And some of that is just the standard rush. I think, you know, Houston in particular is playing exceptionally well. Um, and I think unlocking Adafi Owe a bit, we'll see if they get David Ajabo, who was their draft pick, who tore the Achilles for Michigan back. But also, uh, it's pretty creative up front, and that yeah. was, I think, something we expected out of Mike McDonald. You know, he's not Wink Martindale, where he's going to blitz 50% of the time. But when they do blitz, it always looks a little bit different. That was something that jumped out to me in this game. The first sack I loved where um, Houston was occupied by the, the guard and the tackle, the left guard and left tackle, and then you had Queen blitzing and Amara... Alvin Kamara meets him, who's in pass pro, and then Houston loops around for the sack. Or then you had Marlon Humphrey, I think, had the second sack, if I remember correctly. And then the third one, um, Roquan Smith showed pressure, then dropped out. They use a lot of simulated pressures, muddied the picture for Andy Dalton sack. And I think, you know, you're talking about the, the back end working together. We're also seeing this defensive front getting better at working together to get to the quarterback. Yeah, and uh, what you see with the reason why this, like, I think you said 2014, this would have been the Pro Bowl defensive line. So you, good. You, t you tend to, like, talk about aging players as they can be the player we remember less often, but they still have it in them. If you got a bunch of them, they just got to make sure they time up their <laughs> time up their peaks, like their um, turn back the clock moments so that they always have one of them. And Justin Houston decided to have one on Monday night. Maybe next week it'll be. Well, I guess Calais had a good game, too. But maybe next week Calais will get a bunch of practice. Yeah, he's he's Cle he's, he's not always, always like, good. yeah, he's not always um like uh, jump off the screen, but yeah. he's just always like a problem because he's. <laughs> and athletic he's he's one of those special athletes that you're like that's not fair like gives you Jadavian clown not even clown he's bigger than that more like miles garrett vibes it's like why are you so big and why are you like your frame is that of an athlete but your size is, <laughs> is that of a knot it's a giant it doesn't it, it yeah i had a chance to meet him in person for the first time at the super bowl this year and i was just kind of like when he stood up and then i stood up i was like i i i've been around football players i've never been around a human being shaped this way kind of like <laughs> yeah. it, it just doesn't make yeah. sense actually there's something occurred to me i want to throw this out for you um the ravens front is pretty cheap and they've invested a lot in their secondary what do you think of that approach generally having a younger they got draft picks as well, higher paid secondary, and then maybe leaning on veterans up front because, you know, edge rusher and defensive tackle, I think, are a position that ages better than cornerback mm -hmm. and safety. So maybe there's something yeah. there from a bigger picture. Yeah, I think there definitely is. I think from a, like, talent or, uh, like, cap allocation standpoint, spending your money in the secondary is never a bad idea. The only time I think that it's risky is, like, if you miss – because like those those are issues, and I, I guess that's why like uh, Humphrey is is proven. Humphrey is proven, and Peters a is a, yeah, who's also he's an older proven guy. I think spending the money there, like injuries, you can't predict, but spending the money there is a smart place to spend the money because it's a hard thing to address and develop otherwise. But 
I do think that up front, so it feels like it's kind of the opposite of like the 49ers. More than anything, I think mm. it's like, yeah, it's like invest in one thing, if that makes sense, which is yeah, be, not be like dominant the, in an area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've talked about this a bunch of times is like just my general philosophy, if I can call it that offense and defense is like, be really good at one thing. And then you can like find ways to compensate off of that or build off mm-hmm. of that. And it's clear that, like that they have invested in their secondary. They got, they drafted a safety. They brought in more safeties than we thought that they needed, but they're finding ways to, to use them all in, in two like number one level corners. And then you can like figure it out elsewhere. They've also now invested in linebacker. And I guess that's the final yeah. thing I want to talk about with the, the defense. You know, Roquan Smith's debut. Um, comes out like literally in the first series that uh, third down run stop he had was kind of his welcome to Baltimore moment. Um, but I, you know, I, I was really curious to see what he would do for the rest of the defense, and I thought the early results were super encouraging um, because you know because he is so good at so many things: coverage, blitzing, tackling. It enables the rest of the unit to play a little bit freer. Notably, yeah. I thought this was one of Patrick Queen's yep. best games as a pro. And it's, to me, not surprising. Of course, you bring in one of the best, you know, off-ball linebackers in the league. Of course, he's playing a little bit freer. And uh, that, I, I really liked seeing the two of them play together. And I and I'm, I think it's going to pay dividends throughout the season. Yeah, Roquan Smith's coverage was really impressive in this game to me on Alvin Kamara. And, like, Roquan's a guy who, like, you know is good, you hear is good, you see him every now and then, but you don't watch a lot because they haven't been relevant. Yeah. But, like, watching him and really keying in on him because it was a trade, it's like, yeah, I, I get why <laughs> you would go after this guy because, again, it speaks to the idea of taking pressure off of other places is Roquan can carry. And you don't have to, like, when you go up against one of these running backs who's effective out of the backfield, you don't have to, like uh, – dedicate a bunch of players to being like hey we got to make sure we play zone because we can't man up on this guy or we got to in and out him it just it gives you more flexibility elsewhere just kind of go back to what i talked earlier about mike mcdonald who likes those simulated pressures he's kind of like the perfect linebacker for that because he can blitz and he can cover so well and that's going to be um, when you think about teams like the bills you know, simulated pressures are one of the thing, the rare things that Josh Allen has struggled with. So having that in your pocket, as the Ravens do now, is pretty significant. Yeah. And they took Roquan out and Dime, too, which kind of surprised me. I guess it's just because he's yeah. still learning things. But, like, that's that's one of the things that when you're – we talked about last week, one of the, the really important things uh, was the 49ers and their flexibility with their offensive personnel. A guy like Roquan Smith is is a guy that would take that stress away from you. And where you're like, all right, fine, put Christian McCaffrey out there. Roquan will be comfortable in space. All right, put him in the backfield. Roquan's fine with that. And so many other teams are like, man, we're going to have to put a safety in. And then they're like, fine, put a safety in. We'll smash (laughs) right in your face with this this safety trying to play linebacker. So Roquan gives them some flexibility. Hamilton's been good, too, in their dime package. Yeah. The first-round pick, Kyle yeah. Hamilton. Increasingly, I notice him more and more every week. Obviously, he had the interception that didn't count in this game, but he's been better in coverage every week, too. So, Ravens defense, arrow pointing up. Ravens offense ran the damn ball. Uh, yeah. Not sure what else there really is to say about it. They were missing a lot of players, obviously. I thought the offensive line looked dominant run blocking. That was kind of my big takeaway. 
Yeah, um, they looked dumb in run blocking. They ran the damn ball. Lamar's special. He like pushes linemen out the way because they're taking too long, and then Juke, um, that was Matthew, and still, yeah, like it's just he's just oh a God. special player. Even in a game like this where the numbers aren't like eye popping, which I guess eighty yards as a quarterback rushing should be eye popping. But yeah. it's not for Lamar. It's still like if you watch, he's one of those players that like if you watch the games, you're like, oh my gosh, there's one guy that's different than everybody else, and the the injuries. This team like feel like they always have a lot of like key injuries. I don't know yeah. what it is, but without Andrew Andrews and without Bateman, they still were able to produce. And that, I mean that's the scary part for them in the playoffs is if they can drag somebody into their playing their style, then they can beat anybody. But if their defense makes a couple early mistakes and they're trailing, we're going to have to listen to people say Lamar can't bring them back when in actuality, like, look at the rest of the good quarterbacks in the league. Look who they have to throw to. I mean, like, I Lamar, pride myself in knowing a lot of NFL players' names. I'm, I was like, who's 13? Who's 10? Like, these Ravens pass catchers, I don't remember. Likely 80 always jumps out to me now. But, yeah. like, I'm like, I think that's James Prochet. I guess that's too bad. Like, I just – he is yeah. – That's the thing yeah, about like the playoffs that I worry about is, like, we're going to have to have this conversation. We're going to have to listen to people say he can't win the big one because he can't pass from the pocket. And then he's going to be playing against, like, Josh Allen, who has – who his top two receivers are better than every receiver. I mean, maybe even more than that, every receiver that Lamar has to, has to throw to. And the same is probably true for Kansas City. I guess maybe if they get Tennessee, we can have an old school slobber knocker and no receivers can catch the ball. <laughs> Tennessee is like the one team that I would really actually think would give them a lot of trouble on defense. But yeah, um, did you see I posted the dots of the Isaiah Likely touchdown where he leaked behind... Yeah, I, I saw it was, with the gravity. It just was like Lamar Matthew rolls again, right. Yeah. It was Tyron Matthew, yeah, who had a bit of a rough one. R Lamar rolls right, and literally the entire Saints defense is like pulled with him. That's why I like the dots, yeah. and you can really like see that visually. It's so insane. Um, I said yeah, like it's, I, it's wild. When we were talking about on Get Up this morning, I said that it was he's a walking play action touchdown, but in actuality, that's a halfback pass. Like that's a trick play. Like uh, that's a, the reaction to that defense is like you pitched it to someone. You know what I'm saying? And it like was, the way that it, it happened out, in real time, I thought it was play action because I was like, there's they're Wow. They're really fooled. And then when I watched it, it again, is. I was like, Oh my, like, because he's but it's, a human. It's, yeah. Like you said. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's if you, if you were like to use AI to go through all the plays <laughs> in history of football to find a defense react like that, it would be a halfback pass. It would be a pitch and everyone got sucked up and you throw it down and that's because Lamar is he's better than most running backs at running backs so of course they're gonna respond like that to him let's talk quickly about the Saints uh Dennis Allen said after the game that I think he said they're either sticking with Andy Dalton or he or, you know it was like a rough day at the office unfortunately it's his second rough day in prime time um you know not that Andy Dalton is in a terrific position there either with some of the limitations that offense has would you go back to Winston? I don't Does think it, matter? it matters. Yeah, yeah, but sure. I mean, I guess the, the Winston is Upside. like high risk, high, yeah, high risk, high reward. Like Winston's going to throw a pick for every touchdown he throws. You just hope that 
he can give you a couple games where there's few turnovers. Like he's, they're going to be more exciting and impressive offensively, but also put their defense in tough situations. So since their defense is talented, I guess that seems like the better recipe is like, we have a guy that's going to get us some points, but he's also going to give you a short field sometimes. So that feels like it makes more sense. But Calais Campbell tried to make that decision real easy for uh, Dennis Allen. My God, we talked about how big he was, and he hit Andy Dalton in the back. Oh gosh, and he's his really next snap. Yeah, I I don't. I'm sure once by the time Andy got his bearings, he wanted to play football again. But at that moment, that very moment when he got hit, he thought, "What? Why am I here? I want to be what, home." Yeah, yeah. Put put in Jameis. Jameis <laughs> bad back. God, that would have been awful. Yeah. Um, it's hard to not feel like the the Saints are kind of out of it. Um, yeah, I think. You know, you feel good about, first of all, Chris Olave, again, fantastic. I Mm -hmm. love watching him play. Um, He already is such a, like, professional route runner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, he's just so smooth. Like, when you watch the TV copy, he just is open. But then when you go back and watch, he's so, so, he he, he can run every route. um, And his... These guys are so good, man use of leverage i mean he's just his ability to modulate his speed he's just a very 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 good wide receiver he's the number one you know so you feel good about that but you know for a team that did invest a lot into this season um i guess it's the nfc south so anything can happen but yeah. i don't know the I, the defense has really been underwhelming but let's start with the defense for a second just kind of wrap it up here i really like, you know, it, Lamar's a very unique challenge, and I think you know, most teams will struggle and run defense against the Ravens for various reasons. But um, I guess it, it feels like some of the choices they've made in free agency and whatnot have just not paid off for them. Yeah, I mean, the saddest thing about this team is that they don't have a first-round pick, and they gave it to the Eagles. So, like, as bad as things are in a year where there are quarterbacks in the draft, they're not going to get one. And the Eagles, uh, of all teams, the Eagles, Eagles are going to get the Eagles. Uh, freaking Howie Roseman is going to get their stinking first round pick. Uh, times like this, I'm glad I don't like really root for any team. Like that would infuriate <laughs> me if I was like, oh my gosh, the freaking Eagles again. Yeah. Saints feel like a team that just actually just needs to take a flyer on like a second or something and see if they can develop them. It's almost, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard to even, obviously we, we all thought losing Sean Payton would be huge and I think it has been huge, but, and I, you know, probably with Payton, this team would have like a couple more wins, just scrapping them out, you know, but mm-hmm. it's hard for me to think that they would be competitive. Uh, even like the, the the pass rush is underwhelmed a little bit. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something yeah. more optimistic. I had Chris Olave. I was. I've been like my brain's been like yeah. something else nice about the Saints. I mean, <laughs> NFC South. I don't know. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's it. The NFC South is is the most positive thing you can say about him. I do think the Chris Olave point is a, is a good one, but uh, I'm sorry to bring it down again. Chris Olave is really good, but it feels like there's so many good wide receivers coming in a the league there are. that are professional route runners already, and it 
it feels like they don't have the unique player that's going to put them over the top. I, I guess it's Taysom Hill <laughs> is the guy that they're let's, like, hey, Let me actually wrap somebody. here. Would you consider just leaning into a, like a wackadoodle Taysom Hill offense? Why not? I mean, I wouldn't because I don't think – I think when people We've say that – Yeah, like, and when people say like that Taysom Hill – When they, people say that Taysom Hill is a um, Swiss Army knife, it feels more true than when you say it about other players because the Swiss Army knife is like – it does a lot of things, but it's not great at anything. Like, you would rather have a real knife or a real fork or a real corkscrew, and that's how I feel about um, Taysom Hill. And that's the thing about, like, a wackadoo Taysom Hill offense is – the closest version we have of that is the Lamar Jackson offense, right? Is like you would try to do something similar to that to utilize his running ability. He ain't that special at that. You know, like it's not enough to build around, I don't I don't think. So yeah, I I don't know. It's more like honestly the the perfect example, I don't know why to say it, is Tim Tebow. Like he seems like Yeah. He passes a little better than Tim Tebow, but the offense would look like something that you would do to Tim Tebow and that's not uh, it's not worth getting excited about. Nail file works pretty well on the Swiss Army knife. You probably never used it, but yeah. But you wouldn't oh, rather just have a real it. nail file. Yeah, I don't know. I was one more <laughs> nice thing. I mean, maybe Trevor Penning will be that dude when they get to see. You know, obviously he's not playing, but that was the other. Food's really good in New Orleans. <laughs> Great food. Let's take a quick break. Come back and Delicious. try to turn this around. Etouffee. All right, people, we are brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odds boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet, you get with Caesar's rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesar's rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today, and get more with every wager. Must be 21 years or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, Dominique, you sent in winners and woofs on time this week. They were ones that you had been done on time. before. <laughs> I always said on time. They just aren't good most of the time. What one of the woofs, which is the the Colts? We're gonna spoiler alert. I probably should probably talk about it a little bit longer than the others. So um, we'll breeze through the other ones. Who's your first? Who's your winner? Uh, I think it's the Jets, uh, and as much as I want to talk, why is that funny? Uh, is this going to be a classic Dominique winner where it no, turns out to no, be kind of an egg? No, 
No, no, it's the opposite. As much as I want to talk about Sauce Gardner and he deserves our love and respect, I think that DJ Reed is not getting as much love and respect really as well. he deserves he's so because well. he's playing really, really well too. And like, he's not a rookie coming in with a lot of hype. His first name is not Sauce, or I guess his nickname is not Sauce. And I don't want to take anything away from Sauce Gardner. He deserves all the respect and love that we're going to heap on him. But I think the defense is the reason why they are why they won this game against the Bills. And it's the reason why they are competitive and they win most of their games is defense first. Yep. They hit the shit out of people, too. Like, watching this, the, this was one of the games that I watched after I knew the result, which I find is, like, a really helpful way to get insights. So I'm watching this game and watching the Jets and looking specifically at their defense because I saw the final score. And I, it just from the start to end, they are physical as hell, and that wears on teams. And also, DJ Reed, week in and week out, I've been thinking this for a while. Uh, he's not getting the attention or credit he, he deserves. Is playing really well opposite Sauce. He was really good in Seattle too. Yeah. Uh, I didn't follow him. As yeah, well as well. I was sad. That was an outlaw, big loss to not have him. I mean, he signed a pretty sizable contract with the Jets, and, it, and it's totally paid off. I think just to your point, like watching them week after week, there's playmakers at every level, and mm-hmm. there's no real like weaknesses. on. The, I, I don't think they're the best defense in the NFL or even the AFC necessarily, but mm-hmm. they're definitely top six at this point to me i would say i don't know why i went six and seven. i don't know i i, I, <laughs> I six like six felt safer than five because i just my, never it was my college that. number and it's a good number yeah but it just they're just very complete um i really like like the the pat you know i talk i've talked about the defensive line and what they're doing up front with four and that was certainly on display here but um they're really enabled by the coverage like there's a lot yeah. of a lot of cover sacks with this team um and they play really well together. I think the the pass rush and the coverage, uh, you know, it's primarily a zone team. Oh, they were playing a lot of man against Buffalo, uh, yeah. and then they stopped. But um, they just all seem well coached. I don't know. It's not yeah, that I mean, exciting to say. But and every yeah. all the defensive linemen, dude, are playing out of their minds. Like, yeah. I I think I mentioned Jonathan Franklin Myers. The defensive lineman whose name sounds the most like a dead U.S. president? <laughs> Crushing it. It does. It does. Um, it. Yeah, I mean, Quentin Williams is like the star of this yeah. unit. The the cutest monster you ever want to meet. Uh, <laughs> but I think you're right. The coverage has been so impressive. And uh, the Gardner, like the... Double move, he got beat on early in the game. The ability to bounce back from that, like that's vintage quarter cornerback stuff that you need to be able to continue to play and play well and then have like a outstanding interception, not overcompensate, not get nervous and like then like play deep like that. As as a corner, I'm familiar with that feeling. You give up a big pass early and then for the rest of the game, you're like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not bite. I'm not playing aggressively on anything else. And like he has a, a confidence, especially when you're a young corner, but his confidence to continue to play aggressively and play well throughout the course of this game. And then to do it in cover two, your point about them playing some man was something that I didn't think about that much is because I've seen, I watched them more closely this year than I have ever, honestly, the Jets defense. And 
I was shocked at at the amount of zone that they played and also how effective they are. And um, in this game, they played a little bit more man in part probably because they have the personnel to do it. And Josh Allen, back when he struggled, (laughs) he struggled against uh, beating man coverage. So, yeah, it all comes down to to me, honestly, is the those two corners as good as Quentin Williams is and as impressive and physical as Mosley and the linebackers are like having those corners to be smart enough to play. Uh, and I, one thing about the, the double move that he gave up to Stefan Diggs is being able to play cover three aggressively is something that you as a Seahawks fan are familiar with, but it's a hard thing to do is. And if you can do that, cause cover three is a, frankly, it's a coverage. Like there's holes in it's it. It's easy to beat. But yeah. Yeah. But if you have um, guys who understand right route combination combinations, understand down distance, are very smart. Like they know when to take those chances. Um, Sauce was wrong that first time, but Sauce is right most of the time, and and that that's really helps the way this defensive play. Yeah. And one thing about the oh sorry, never mind. I'm I'm rambling. No no no. What were you gonna say? One thing about what the offense is. What I see, um, like the thesis for the Bills or like their mission statement on every game, to me, the way that the roster is built and the way that they play in games is like, can you outscore us? We're going to force you to throw the ball. And their strategy, it feels like to me, is we're going to score early and get up because their team is built, their defense is obviously built to play two high safeties with two really good safeties and a lot of good pass rushers and less talent oh. at corner. Well, and two of safeties, until, yeah, yeah. So their yeah. safeties are gone, but I'm just saying in general, like their both yeah. their safeties that were was... out of this game. But in, in general, that's how I think their philosophy is set up: is they want to put you to make you have to pass. They got up 14 on the Jets. And I think that I want to give the Jets credit for being smart enough to not chase it. But I also yeah. think that it was fear of Zach Wilson. And they're like, well, hey, we just go, we just going to keep, keep it slow. And they work their way back into the game. I think the rushing, the run game is good enough and creative enough to actually take that tactic in a lot of games. Um, and then, you know, Zach Wilson, to his credit, was getting the ball out really quickly and just being a point guard and doing what everyone's been begging him to do. Um, but, like, that final drive where they just ran the ball a zillion times, they they ran, like, the same counter run three times in a row with James Robinson mm-hmm. on that drive. A lot of that, I do think, was about the absence of Matt Milano. And this was, like, the Matt Milano MVP, Bill's MVP game because yeah. they could not stop the run there. But I do yeah. think that there's a little bit of a formula with New York that's emerging and – you know, just because this defense looks really good, uh, they're going to be competitive in a lot of games, and that's really fun. All right. So my woof, we'll do my woof, and then we'll actually, sorry, I'm a little bit up against it, guys, because I have to catch a flight. My woof is the Indianapolis Colts. And did you watch the press conference announcing our... I Yeah, uh, I, I, I saw clips. I didn't watch the whole thing, but um, so, I think I probably saw the important parts. Yeah, I mean, I want to talk to you about, obviously, the the hire, and you and I talk a lot about coaching hires and diversity and all of that, but I think, first of all, I just take the Colts, because if you're a Colts fan watching that, I'd think, damn, we're screwed, 
because of the owner. <laughs> like, forget, yeah. you know, we don't know how long Jeff's going to have this job. He said, you know, we don't, we don't know what's going to – I mean, Chris, he said Chris Ballard's going to keep his job, which I'll, I think Chris Ballard probably deserves more criticism than any of the coaches for what we're seeing, but that's neither here nor there. But right. the owner looks so impulsive and illogical and – I don't trust that guy to make good decisions and he hasn't made good decisions. So I think that to me was like the most alarming part about all of this, just seeing him talk. Yeah. I mean, even a broken clock is right twice a day. Sometimes the sun shines on a dog's like that's the, that's, that's the optimism I can give to, um, Colts fans because watching, and I mean, they know who he is. He's not new to them. Uh, but he's had a hell of a year. Is uh, it, it feels like a hell of a season for him? A couple seasons, if you go back to last year, when uh, apparently he had like disdain for Carson Wentz and was like get him the heck out of here. So, and then the Ellinger Ellinger decision, and then the the words about Dan Snyder, and then fired Frank uh, Reich. That was a W. And, he had a, he had one yeah. W there. The Dan yeah, Snyder. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's one. But I just mean it's like it's eventful. <laughs> and then he hires Jeff, yes. and and that I am not opposed to outside the box thinking generally. So I, as much as I had this conversation earlier in the season when the offensive coordinators for the Patriots were not guys with offensive experience, and my response was, these ain't geniuses, like. These coaches will figure it out, and the Patriots' offense yeah. will be fine. It won't be like, oh, my gosh, it's a disaster. I would feel the same way about this head coaching situation. If Jeff had some experience outside of high school, you know, like that's a – it's such a steep learning curve. And if anybody yeah. can do it, our friend Jeff can. But it's a hard job to do. And we can get to all the other social, political stuff yeah. later, but just in general, especially to come asking in a whole lot of it. on a bad team, a team that knows they're bad. It's it's yeah. it's really he's not being set up well here, for, for just in terms of this season. Um, yeah, I you know I said this on first take earlier. I don't know. I, the one thing I've learned is I have no idea who's going to be good at being a head coach. I have total right. humility approaching this subject now because you and I have talked about hires for years now. Who the hell knows what works, what doesn't, why? And like you, I actually I, I think leadership and management are underrated qualities, mm -hmm. uh, as well as open-mindedness. And mm -hmm. th that's something I just want to say about Jeff before we get to the critical side of this. Um, you know, everyone at ESPN is talking about how, like, kind and smart and smart and knowledgeable about football he is he's also one of the most under open-minded people i've ever worked with in my and me mina kimes yeah. that matters yeah. a lot in my interactions from working so I, I i think he has like the real the makeup for it so whatever um so that's it's a tough job he lacks experience he has some qualities i think are great and is a, just an a-plus human being Everybody is also correctly upset about the process here because this is exhibit A for it's not just the only reason why there's an, you know a pretty pathetic amount of diversity amongst coaching ranks but when we when we try to explain it you know other than just saying uh, a blanket 
racism, you know, when, when we look at some of it, which is, but, but, you know, like when we look at how it, how it, yeah. like what happens, I guess, in action, mm-hmm. one of the things that comes up time and time again is the network effect, the mm-hmm. relationships, the fact that these opportunities are given to white coaches with less experience. And it is impossible to ignore the fact that pretty much all of those things clearly apply in this particular decision in this process. And also, Jeff may be great, yeah. but we cannot get away from the fact that this way this process went. The one thing that I got a little bit of humor out of is thinking about a lot of white coaches probably feel like black coaches normally feel right now. Oh, yeah. Because, like, black coaches sitting around like, yeah. they are John Fox. Yeah, exactly. Black coaches are normally sitting around, yeah. and occasionally you'll see somebody like Cliff Kingsbury, and, and I, I suspect that there are a lot of black coaches that are like, what the hell you know like that things like that happen or like staley like is comes out of nowhere and is a head coach and then all these other like wannabe like mcveigh people who don't have a ton of experience which then all of a sudden just like um ursay said now coaching experience is bad because it makes coaches scared how do you feel if you're john fox and he's like nah we're not gonna promote you because you've been here too long. You're probably scared. You like, might listen to analytics. Yeah. And then he, <laughs> then he, yeah, he took a straight at analytics. What are you talking about? Cook. Almost um, as wild as when he said, I don't know how to make sausage. What? Who asked you to make sausage? It's just... Uh, anyway, the point I was trying to make, I don't know anymore. It's frustrating. But yeah, this is the this is the issue with the processes. No matter how many... Um, rule, Rooney rules you institute it comes down to a decision that's going to be made by one person and that one person uh, either has conscious or subconscious biases that the statistics fully support yeah I mean that's a pretty good summary of the root cause of all of this it's um, you know it's not a meritocracy nope. uh, anyone who thinks it is is lying to themselves it always makes me laugh how like people are so critical of g uh, of owners rather in their decision making but then when you suggest that like they're not uh, <laughs> it is a yeah. meritocracy and they're like well how yeah. dare you question my owner here and it's like yo yo you them all the time like <laughs> these guys are human they make bad choices and yeah. I, by the way i i don't want to go back to like what you just said and what i just said which is we're not saying that jeff is we're just talking mm-hmm. about this is just a thing that happens over and over and over and this is a pretty uh, egregious example of it i mean i've got a call from uh, jeff got a call from a crazy man to say hey you want to be a head football coach and he said yes just like all the rest of us would i would love to hear from jeff just like (laughs) i don't know man this is a tough tough thing to walk into but he is yeah he likes challenge i'm not gonna pretend that i'm not gonna be rooting for him but we also have to be honest about what this is and why people are upset and i get it i get it um it's also an interim job how often do interim job coaches become the head coach i don't know Um, freddie kitchens is the one that comes to mind yeah um i don't know I, i there was some conversation i mean it tends to be these bad jobs where it seems like there you're just a placeholder those are often yeah. jobs that go to black coaches which i guess is which it makes this put it, yeah it's like <laughs> it's like do you do you want this job i don't know like you didn't have a, a bad resume a yeah yeah, yeah is, like the steve wilkes vance joseph but, yeah. the, getting also i mean it's getting... it's it just 
no matter what, it positions you as a head coach. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like exposure. Yeah. Right. And now you're thought of as like a head coach and like Dan Campbell got a really outstanding contract with the Lions after having an interim job where he did not have a whole bunch of success with Miami. But now all of a sudden he's a head coach. And yeah. so it's an advantage that that Jeff gets that um, Reggie Wayne would not and did not. Has has there ever been like what has been the most surprising hire of a, a black coach ever? Um, there, Raheem you know, Morris was really young, wasn't he? Like I feel like yeah, that was a he shocker. Was um, I don't know the fact that Hugh Jackson got a, another shot surprised me. <laughs> you always bring up Hugh as the counter example. I'm like, hmm. yeah, it's one guy. Um, yeah. yeah, it's rare. It's you know like there have been. I'll just wrap this up. There have been new like for everyone who's upset about it, there's been numerous studies people professors who have looked at their resumes records 10 years of black and white coaches and the results are they speak for themselves black coaches get fewer opportunities they require more experience to get those opportunities they're given shorter less leeway when they get those opportunities so i don't it, this is not a matter of debate it just is yeah. what it is so right. uh that is why we are talking about it all right uh, my are you, that was my woof. So that's your woof was the Cardinals, right? Speaking yeah. of Cliff Kingsbury, we can skip them. <laughs> Just say one 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 reason why is it, do you feel like this um, is a, it's over? It's it. Uh, yeah, I think that's the. It's in part because the coach, the coach firing has started has started that Cliff Kingsbury should be on high alert, even though they got him an extension, but. I don't know. They just don't seem to be getting any better. They're not any more formidable. And also, Call of Duty is out, which is funny. And that extension is more egregious than any yeah. of the... Because yeah. at least if you hire a guy like a Cliff King, whatever, you can say, well, we don't know. Y'all knew. Yeah. It's so weird, given that they, they had one year for Steve Wilkes. They knew that he wasn't the guy immediately. Cliff Kingsbury has given you multiple years of underachieving and is currently underachieving. And you was like, hey, how about you stick around a little longer? He's really the poster child for this at yeah, this he point. Is. I feel like it's yeah. pretty, especially the extension is yeah. just outrageous. Um, okay, let's wrap on a, a pleasant note. Um, so my winner is OBJ because... And I could be wrong, maybe he'll sign somewhere cheap, but there are a lot of teams that need wide receivers. There was less wide receiver movement at the trade deadline than many people anticipated. So at the very least, I don't know how much he's going to get paid, but he certainly has his pick. Yeah. Uh, he has said, expressed interest in Dallas, which seems obvious. Um, that just seems like the perfect marriage for a number of reasons. Um, he's mentioned talking to the Packers, ain't no way. Uh, Buffalo, that one I can see happening. That one I can see happening. Yeah. And then the Giants. Um, which of those four teams... I, I wanted the Ravens to sign him. I just don't think they will. I, I don't think he'll go there. Which of those four teams would you like to see him on? I mean, I think it's Dallas, obviously. is yeah. the is the one that you feel like it could change things if he's healthy and is some version close to his peak self. You add him to Dallas and... And that team becomes 
something different because CD Lamb has not developed into like a top top of the league receiver that Odell Beckham is at his peak. So that seems easy. Uh, sending him up to Orchard Park doesn't. I don't know. I guess it'd be fun, but it doesn't change anything to me as long as I mean. Gabe I guess Davis him, is... yeah, opposite Gabe, yeah, put him opposite Stefan Diggs. It's uh, it's two man coverage monsters. Gabe Davis isn't that guy, but I guess when you look at their offensive production at its peak and when they're healthy, I'm not sure that like Odell Beckham changes it as much as he does for the Cowboys. If he again, it's a big if because uh, yeah, he hasn't worked out for anybody yet. We don't know what he's actually doing. I would say I, I kind of. I do think the Bills actually need him because they can't run the football consistently. Yeah. Dallas can. Um, so they're a bit one-dimensional on offense, which makes this Josh Allen injury all the more concerning, by the way, because he is their leading rusher. So I feel like leaning into being a just dominant, bombs-away passing attack, especially given that Davis has been a little bit unreliable, mm-hmm. a lot unreliable, frankly. Um, this should be the strategy like for receivers going forward like don't get injured but become a free agent and then sign a one-year deal at week 10 and then <laughs> ride it out get you 15 million then do it again next year just well, he was trying to do that last year but yeah, oh, yeah. Or it wasn't what he was traded or whatever yeah. but yeah the yeah i mean we're also obviously assuming he's still obj mm-hmm. um and what obj is is a vertical threat elite route runner like you said, a man coverage nightmare. Um, to have him as a number two wide receiver, yeah, is he's also like a a a a, a yak monster. It's like yeah. you can throw him a short pass, ball in like his hands. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 everything that you would want from a receiver, and um, yeah, this just feels like Jerry's just gonna throw whatever at him. Yeah, that's kind of why as he should. Hmm. All right, Dominique, it's been good chatting. I'll see you next week. See you. Safe travels.